Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hi, hello, and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. Y'all, we have a special guest that we're going to be getting to here in just a little bit for today, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, But, you know, this is the part of the podcast where I usually update y'all about my life. And um, I want to use this space... Uh, to talk about what is going on in the world right now, Um, but not in the way that you might be expecting or, frankly, when you heard that dreading. So stay with me here, y'all. There was a very terrible terrorist attack uh, perpetrated by Hamas on um, innocent civilians in Israel. We know that. And ever since then, the entire Internet has uh, decided to blow up and... um, Uh, put their opinions out there. And these opinions are based on things that happened in 1917 and in 1944 and in 1942 and, and all these different things. And, you know, I keep seeing these posts and I've even had a couple people reach out to me and, and say, Hey, you know, you haven't posted anything about this. And I guess I wanted to tell y'all that that's okay. I'm very comfortable with with that, and frankly, you should be too. Um, The truth of the matter is that the situation that is going on right now is not something that can be explained in uh, a simple infographic. Or depending on how you look at things historically, there are different takes on it. Um, I I think that the, the tragic loss of lives is absolutely horrendous, and I don't think there's any denying that. Um, But beyond that, our internet culture has gotten so crazy. There are actually um, accounts now that just track famous celebrities and uh, post their names and try to shame them if they haven't posted their position on the current situation going on in the Middle East. I don't know why people care what i don't know i haven't looked at these lists because i think they're ridiculous but kim kardashian or taylor swift or kanye west or whatever think about geopolitics but i don't and i think it's okay for you to not too um so i wanted to tell y'all what i've done uh, in the last couple of days i took time out of my last three days to really study the situation I went to um, as many nonpartisan good sources as I could suss out. I even, because I'm a huge nerd, looked back at the history of the land um, as far as we know. It turns out that we actually have genetic records uh, that, that we know the people who owned the land over there um, before Islam was even founded. OK, so so that's kind of interesting. And um, it's all very complex. I spent my time studying. More importantly than that, though, I've spent my time talking to people, um, talking to a producer friend of mine, to a, a musician buddy of mine, to another musician buddy of mine, to, to people 
who have family over in Israel and in Palestine. And I've checked in with them and I've made sure they're okay. And I've also listened to the voices that pop up that are actually, you know, related to this conflict in one way or, or another. Um, I, I've, I've given them their moment and I've, I've sat quietly by and I've learned. And yeah, I actually have really strong opinions on a lot of what's going on over there. And um, these are opinions that are formed by educating myself and listening to the people that are affected directly. But you know what? I, I don't need to share them. I don't need to share them with y'all, even though you come here ostensibly to hear my take on things, um, you know, in a different world. But still, you do. I don't need to share them online. And I, I just think that it's, it's okay to not have a half-informed, social media-inspired opinion that you then regurgitate in your feed, followed immediately by, like, a picture of you at a cool rock or something. I don't know. Social media is weird. But, like, I don't know. It just doesn't ring true to me. It just, it just doesn't. And don't get me wrong. If you're listening to this and you're someone who is affected by this conflict or you have, you know, roots over there or you you have um, skin in the game, as they say, you're not who I'm talking to right now. OK, you're the person who I want to hear from, who I want to listen to, who I want to learn from. OK, I want to be real clear on that. But like, you know a chunky animal loving dude who makes a podcast uh, doesn't doesn't really have skin in the game and i can tell you that the people that i've talked to all really have appreciated hearing from me and and being able to um you know voice their thoughts so i don't know i guess maybe i'm just saying that there's a better way to deal with things than act like you know everything on social media just just a thought just putting it into the world uh and and i hope y'all are okay with that but uh yeah all right so um those are my thoughts for the week this is rasafari zoo news which is a crowdsourced zoo news program so if you happen to see anything that you think is zoo news worthy you can tag me in it at rasafari on the socials or at rasafari pod on tiktok email it to me rasafaripod at gmail.com um call me text me if you happen to know me uh if you don't don't it's creepy but yeah get me that stuff and then i'll say your name at the end of the episode um and like i said we have a really special guest coming up so without further ado let's get to it All right. And so um, it is uh, our tradition to start off with births and deaths. And um, I'm only going to touch on a couple of these this week. So uh, we're going to start off with a couple of births, uh, both of which are rhinos. So we're going to start off with the fact that a baby rhino has been welcomed to the family at African Safari. The mother is Chipoko, one of the rescued orphans that lives at this sanctuary in Africa after her mother was poached when Chipoko was only three months old. So this birth is not only great for the species continuing on, but also is really important because it shows that these amazing sanctuaries over in Africa 
Africa are actually working saving these animals, and then these animals are able to go on and have babies and things. So that's very exciting. Congratulations on this incredible birth, y'all. And then speaking of rhinos, a baby southern white rhino has been born at Zoo Tampa to 19-year-old mother Kidogo. This is the sixth calf that Kidogo has had, or as we like to say, um, Rhinelet. Uh, But it is the uh, first calf to dad Mufasa, and the Rhinelet in question is a little boy. So congrats to the team at Zoo Tampa. And now that brings us to the flip of the coin to the animals that have passed recently. And I'd like to uh, start this off with a quick interview that I did with my good friend Kristen at Aquarium of Niagara. All right. So let's start off by uh, you telling me who you are and where we are. Yeah. So my name is Kristen Robleski. I'm a trainer here at the Aquarium of Niagara. Yeah. And we are here to talk about a sadder story today. Um, So why don't you tell me about your good friend that has recently passed? Yes. So Kaya was a 15-year-old female California sea lion. Um, She was rescued off the coast of California when she was just a pup. And her rescue story itself was, you know, kind of telling to her personality as she got older. Um, she was rescued two different times. Um, after the second rescue, she was approaching people for food. So despite those rescue and rehabilitation efforts, she was a little too smart for her own good um, and still figured out that people would feed her. So, of course, that is dangerous. And she was deemed non-releasable. Um, so she joined us here. And she had been here with us ever since. So she had been here for about 14 years And I started volunteering here about nine years ago, which is when uh, I got the chance to see her and meet her for the first time. Okay. And um, talk to me uh, about like that relationship and how did it develop? Yeah. So Kaya was an incredible sea lion. Um, She was very special to me and many others. But uh, when I first started working with Kaya, she was actually the very first sea lion I started working with. And she was definitely way more standoffish than by the end of our relationship. But that's what made her so great. When you first started to work with her, uh, she she recognized her trainers like many animals do. And she made you work for that relationship. <laughs> she could be an extremely loving, cuddly, sweet sea lion, but you had to build that relationship with her first. And I remember when I first started working with her, you know, she would do different behaviors, not quite to criteria, seeing what she could get away with with me, kind of pushing the boundaries <laughs> a little bit, as she liked to do with all her new trainers. Um, but after some time went by and, you know, we started building our relationship and building that trust. One thing Kaya was known to do with trainers she had a relationship with is lean in for tactile. She found tactile extremely reinforcing. And I will never forget the very first day when I was kneeling down with her and she slowly leaned her head in and rested it on my knee. And I gave her tactile and almost cried. And from there, she was sold as my favorite. I absolutely adored that sea lion. She won my heart over that day and has been my favorite and I think always will be. Sounds like she was reinforcing you more than you were reinforcing <laughs> I think so. I think so. Everyone would always joke that, you know, I cannot get enough of Kaya tactile. And it's true. I absolutely loved her snuggles and scratches. She uh, definitely reinforced me. But I like to think it reinforced her, too. Okay. Fair <laughs> thing, fair um, and I know that training is something that you're passionate about. And we've had a yes. lot of discussions about that here. Um, what uh, what did she bring to, to training? And how much did she inspire you since she was the first one that you were working with to get more into training. Yeah, Kaya 
was a huge inspiration for me when it comes to training. Um, she was an incredibly smart, detail-oriented, and fast learner. Um, she was very precise and you know, when people came to watch our shows, she was the one doing all of those incredible blow you away, high energy behaviors. Uh, because she was so quick and precise, she picked up a lot of things very fast. And she definitely inspired me to want to train a lot of those high energy behaviors. It was so much fun for her and for us as trainers to be able to work through these things with her. Uh, she would very visibly show her enthusiasm uh, when something was done correctly. She would kind of shake and nod her head um, when she was feeding off of our excitement. <laughs> and a lot of times that would happen after a training session when she had a really great approximation. Uh, we might have jackpotted her, getting really excited, and her head shape would go crazy. She would be so excited too. So um, she was a lot of fun to train and definitely inspired me to want to do more high energy with her and with all sorts of other uh, sea lions too. Okay. Now um, you, you mentioned that she was 15 uh, at the time of her passing. And um, I know that it's relatively young for a California sea lion. So what, what happened? Yeah. Unfortunately, Kaya had a form of stomach cancer that was undetectable and we saw almost nothing leading up to that except for the three days prior when she suddenly stopped eating. And um, in those three days, she declined rapidly. So it was it was really shocking to myself and all of the staff because she so she had had stomach issues in the past before, um, but we did not know or were unable to detect that it was cancer. Um, she had swallowed something that fell into her pool. And yeah, unfortunately, we, we saw that in an x-ray, but she regurgitated it. So, and right after that, she went right back to being her normal self. So we thought everything was totally fine and normal. So, um, the stomach cancer definitely threw all of us for a loop. It was very unexpected. Um, but it, least we had some answers. It was, it was really sad and tough, but I think as a team, we were glad to know that there was something to point to and there was nothing we could have done. Um, as much as I wish there would have been something we could have found and done to help prevent this, seeing after the fact that there is no way to detect this and nothing we could have done, um, somehow at least, at least gives, gives us some closure. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm curious and I, I don't know, I don't even know if this is a weird question, but I'm a weird guy, whatever. Um, but do you think it would have been, would you have preferred to have more advanced knowledge or do you think that would have made it harder? And this, this was at least like a thing, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny you ask because I've, I've thought about that myself too of like, okay, say we did somehow detect this. We were able to find it. Um, and then we were told, it's untreatable. There's nothing we can do. And she has, you know, this long to live. And honestly, I feel like that would have made these months leading up to it really, really tough. So I don't think so because looking back to if, if there was something we could have done, of course, absolutely 100%. Right, right, right. Yeah. But knowing that nothing would have changed, you know, we spent every day with Kaya as normal, loving her and doing shows and doing training and all the fun play sessions, everything with her up until her very last day when she started to decline. So um, I like to think that we kept things totally normal for her and, you know, she lived her best life until things rapidly declined. Awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this? Yeah, I think I'll just throw in the fact that Kaya was an incredibly special sea lion. There has never been a more lovable sea lion that was also just so impressive and smart and talented. And I know that she is irreplaceable um, to myself and all the other trainers that worked with her. Anyone who got a chance to meet her, she 
left an impact on them. And I feel incredibly lucky and grateful to have had the relationship that we did um, and to have worked with her for all these years. And I hope everyone who has met her has that very special memory of her because I know she made that long lasting impact on me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Thank you to um, Kristen and really everyone at Aquarium of Niagara for um, sharing that story and honestly so much of your facility with me. I I love going there so much. I am such a proud member now. And um, the team that I have have met there is just incredible. I hope we get a lot more content from that incredible facility, y'all. But moving on to a couple of the other deaths that we have to talk about this week. Mitik, a walrus at SeaWorld San Diego, passed away earlier this week. Mitik had lived at the facility since 2016 after being found as a non-releasable orphaned walrus calf. He lived at many aquariums before finding his forever home at SeaWorld, where he participated in studies about walrus hearing and also photogrammetry. Sadly, he was struggling with acute kidney disease, which ended up taking his life. Sending condolences to everyone at SeaWorld San Diego. The Toronto Zoo recently said goodbye to Luca, their male jaguar. Luca was 19 years and 3 months old, significantly outliving the life expectancy of a male jaguar in captivity or in the wild. Sadly, Luca lost the use of his hindquarters due to osteoarthritis. This despite the fact that the zoo had been treating the issue with a novel domestic cat monoclonal antibodied therapy, which had been successful for quite some time. What an amazing story of the lengths one zoo will go to for one animal, even at the end of their life. And then last but not least in our deaths section this week, the John Ball Zoo has announced the passing of Yogi, their male brown bear. Yogi lived at the zoo since 1994 when he was taken out of the wild due to repeated human conflicts. If he hadn't found the zoo as his home, he would have been euthanized. After far outliving his life expectancy, Yogi developed osteoarthritis, common theme this week sadly, which was treated by the zoo's veterinary team for a while, but eventually his mobility issues became too much for them to manage, so the decision was made to humanely euthanize him. In order to carry on Yogi's legacy, and I really love this, the zoo is currently hosting a teddy bear drive. The zoo is in the midst of collecting as many Yogi bears as possible, which will then be shared with the kids at the Helen DeVos Children's Hospital. I love this so much. This is so great. Uh, props to the entire team at the John Ball Zoo, especially animal care supervisor Jamie, who came up with the teddy bear drive idea. Awesome, awesome work, Jamie. I don't even know you, and I love you so much. Great job. All right, so moving on from that section and into our normal zoo and aquarium news, uh, South Carolina Aquarium has announced an incredible new program called Seafood Connection. This is a program that will provide fresh, free, sustainably caught seafood to food insecure individuals that live in the community around the aquarium. It's estimated that this new program will provide over 5,000 meals annually. I'm wildly impressed by this. And y'all, I don't even eat seafood personally, but uh, nah, I'm just playing. That is so cool. I mean, I'm not playing. I, I really don't like seafood. But, you know, aquariums really 
often do a great job explaining sustainably caught seafood and how important that is to the conservation of the species that we love in the ocean. Um, but in this case, the South Carolina Aquarium is not only doing that, but providing food to people who need it at the same time. I, oh, ah, I, this story gives me all the good feels. New England Aquarium recently shared a post about their Gulf Stream Orphan Conservation work. The Gulf Stream Orphan, or GSO, is any type of subtropical or tropical fish that gets swept north beyond its native range by the Gulf Stream. GSOs would die as water temperatures cool off in the fall and winter, so teams of divers from New England Aquarium head into the waters to rescue many of these fish. Since it is impossible to return these fish to their homes, since they don't even know where those are, the fish generally become part of the population at the aquarium, saving them from a certain freezing death in nature. The National Zoo has teamed up with the team at Avatar Studios, home of Avatar The Last Airbender, not those weird freaky blue things, but the good one, uh, to celebrate the real-world animals that inspired the hybrid animals seen in Avatar The Last Airbender. For those of you that don't know, the series featured many hybrid animals, including Appa, a sky bison, which was a hybrid bison and manatee that, for some reason, could fly. I'm here for it. Pabu, a fire ferret, which was a hybrid between a red panda and a ferret, which is actually why I watched the series in the first place and uh, fell in love with it for other reasons. But initially it was because I needed to see my fire ferret friend Pabu. Um, and they had all kinds of other uh, really cool hybrid animals, including turtle ducks, armadillo bears, badger moles, goat gorillas, iguana parrots, and on and on. Seriously, if you haven't watched Avatar, you're missing out. A lot of adults that I know are like, mm, I can't watch the cartoons, but uh, there are some really good ones out there, y'all. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, hybrid animals, Avatar, really cool. So if you follow at Avatar The Last Airbender, you can get facts about the real animals that inspired the hybrid one seen in the series, as well as facts about the hybrid animals, all sponsored through the National Zoo. The Detroit Zoo has announced that their female polar bear Suka has started exhibiting denning behaviors, and there is hope that this means a polar bear cub polar bearlet or two are on the way. Given that Columbus recently announced that their female is also denning, we have reason to hope there may be a few polar bearlets coming soon. That would be really exciting. Polar bears are so good, y'all. The Louisville Zoo is selling really adorable shirts celebrating the life of Fitz, their elephant calf, who passed away after a brief battle with EEHV recently. The shirts are a line drawing of an elephant, and the ear has Fitz's name written in cursive on the line. It's really cute and really creative, and all proceeds go towards EEHV research efforts, so I highly recommend checking the shirt out by going to the link on any of the social media pages on the Louisville Zoo. The Columbus Zoo and the Wilds have achieved the American Humane Certified Distinction for Animal Care and Well-Being. The American Humane Certified Program is the first certification effort solely dedicated to helping verify the welfare and humane treatment of animals living in zoos, aquariums, and conservation centers across the globe. 
The inspections are species-specific and incredibly thorough, focusing on husbandry practices including housing, food, water, lighting, shade, sound, activity levels, and the training of the keeper staff. Some other zoos that are currently certified are ABQ Biopark, Pittsburgh Zoo and Aquarium, the Denver Zoo, and the Florida Aquarium. Over 100 AZA-accredited zoos and aquariums have signed a declaration uniting behind the 30 by 30 initiative that is part of the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. Now, you've probably heard about the 30 by 30 initiative, um, but the, the goal is to protect 30% of the planet by the year 2030, hence the name 30 by 30. Uh, so yeah, this is something that a lot of conservation organizations are involved with and a lot of governments are trying to be involved with. And it's cool that the AZA kind of worked together to get a bunch of their facilities to sign on board as well. So that's pretty exciting. And then the last story in Zoo News this week uh, really, really touched me. I enjoyed it tremendously. So a giraffe named Eddie has been making a lot of news this week. Eddie recently got an SSP recommendation to move from Henry Vilas Zoo to the new zoo in Green Bay. However, despite having been trained on crating and such, when it came time to move, Eddie said no. He absolutely refused to crate for his team at Henry Vilas, despite them trying repeatedly. As such, the decision was made to let him stay at the zoo another day and try again the next day. Now, the next day, although he was still a little hesitant, Eddie did eventually crate and made the move to the new zoo, where he then refused to get out of his crate for a while, but eventually... His favorite keeper from Henry Vilas was there and was able to coax him out. Once he heard her voice, he got pretty excited and came out. So the best part of the story to me is not just that, like, hey, there was an animal transport that, you know, had a little issue, a little little bit of an animal saying no. Um, it's that uh, the, the zoos were being super transparent about the move. There was a goodbye party for Eddie. There was a welcome Eddie party happening. Um, they were announcing it all in advance. They were putting it on social media. So when the giraffe said no, there were a whole lot of people who were invested in the story, uh, which, you know, normally doesn't happen in this case. Honestly, this is one of the reasons that some zoos are afraid of being transparent. But Henry Vilas Zoo and the new zoo did an incredible job. They explained to the public what was going on. They kept it light, but they explained how training works, that the training had been happening, that animals have some choice and control even in moments like SSP recommendations. And uh, they talked to everyone through the whole thing. And it was a really adorable story. And in the end, uh, Eddie ended up where he needs to be. And both zoos ended up, uh, in my opinion, impressing people with their transparency and also just illustrating yet again the amazing care that these animals get even in like moments of transportation and stuff like that. So that story just made me really happy all around. And that brings us to... Conservation news. 
The U.S. House of Representatives is expected to consider amendments to the Interior Bill in fiscal year 2024 that would weaken the Endangered Species Act. Now, keep in mind, this is a group of politicians who are currently in total turmoil, and there's not even an actual Speaker of the House right now, but they get to have a say in the Endangered Species Act. Cool. Cool, cool. Uh, In case you didn't know it, the law has been tremendously successful, with 90% of the species protected by it having avoided extinction since the law was created. So obviously, this law needs to stand strong. If you're interested in helping this stand strong, you can go to at the WCS and click on the link in their bio to find a pre-written letter you can send to your representative or of course, feel free to write your own. I know it sounds quaint in today's charged political climate to write to a representative and think it will matter, but uh, from everything that people who actually deal with these people tell me, it really can make a difference. So the WCS has the goal of getting at least 5,000 letters sent. Will you be one? I promise you I will. Join me. Let's, Let's do this. Let's help them out. A striped dolphin was found stranded on Litchfield Beach, South Carolina, recently. It was pushed back into the water, where it appeared to go about its merry way, but the next day, the body of the dolphin was found washed back up in the same vicinity, with the dolphin having passed away in that time. This is the first time an event like this has happened in that area since 2015. Hopefully, this will prove to be just another one of those very rare stranding events that happen and not the start of a trend. A fluke, if you will. Get it? Fluke, dolphin. Anyway, um, but regardless, this is a great time to remind everyone that if you ever come upon what appears to be a stranded marine mammal or sea turtle, don't push it back into the water. Instead, find the local marine mammal rescue hotline basically all beaches have them now, and reach out to those people as soon as possible. It is impossible to say whether a rescue intervention could have saved this dolphin's life, but it is certainly possible. And, um, you know, not to say anything about this specific one, but in general, when pushing an animal back into the water, you can cause more damage. If they're having an issue, being in the water can actually hurt them more. So, um, yeah, just just find the experts and and call that that is my my recommendation and also you know the recommendation of all of those uh marine mammal stranding hotlines all right so we've all seen the various bird safe glass stickers and other measures taken to save birds have you have you ever wondered uh how effective those measures are well here's a story that'll shed some light on that So a convention center in Chicago, known as the McCormick Place Lakeside Center, stayed lit up at night one night despite having nothing going on inside it. Now, this was the evening of October 4th into the morning of October the 5th. At the same time, there was some really strong weather, and there also happened to be a mass bird migration happening, which is a very common event in the area. In total, more than 1,000 birds collided with the single building we are talking about, with 964 of them dying. 964 birds, y'all. One building. Now, 
In downtown Chicago that same night, an additional 750 birds were found injured or deceased. And those are just the ones that were found and documented by the groups that go out trying to find and document this information. Bird-friendly glass is easy. Turning lights off is easy. We simply have to do better, y'all. You know, one of the things that is the hardest when it comes to discussing conservation is that so many of the harmful things people do seem sweet and harmless on the surface. Things like balloon releases and fireworks come immediately to mind. Um, but now we're, we're being told about another one by the Grand Canyon's social media page. Wow. Everyone really does have their own social media page now, huh? Uh, but yeah, so um, it seems like a lot of people love going to areas with beautiful views and putting a lock, like, like a padlock, on the fencing with their partner. How romantic, right? Um, except that a lot of these people then take the keys from their locks and throw them into the canyon. I guess it's like a woo forever kind of thing. But, but they throw keys into in into a canyon um and and so yeah they're they're just down on the ground and guess what find shiny objects really interesting condors the answer is condors actually other animals too but condors in this case are, are what we're talking about here and so they will go down and they will put them in their beak and they will taste them and they will try them and they will eat them and they will die so, um, yeah, other people have started throwing things like coins into the Grand Canyon as well. Um, which, which do they think it's just a really big well? I, I don't get it. But and again, these are things that condors and other animals can be killed by. Um, and, you know, I've seen some people posting this story and saying, so, hey, put up your, your padlock and then keep the key, dummy, make, make jewelry out of it or something like that. And like, yes, that, that's a better choice. But I'll also tell you that the padlocks are shiny and interesting and new and can still attract condors, which will then try to bite them off of fences. Or a lot of times these fences aren't big, like thick fences, but they're just like wires. And then the birds can get caught up in the wires and stuff. So like, it's a cute idea, I guess, but how about we don't kill animals in the name of love? Just just a thought. I know that. OK, I'm being a little cynical here, y'all. I'm just saying that there are so many of the choices that we make just for silly celebratory stuff have a real impact on on the animals of the world. And, and this is one of them. So uh, no, no locks on on pretty views at the Grand Canyon and such. OK, thanks. And then last but not least in conservation news this week, uh, it feels like every week lately has featured a good conservation news story pertaining to rhinos. And uh, so we're going to keep that trend uh, going. Olpecheta, which is an area of protected land in Kenya, has announced that there has been no poaching in their borders for six straight years now. That is incredible, as protected spaces in Africa are often huge and hard to fully protect and patrol and everything. Um, many rhinos live on this land, so this is great news for those rhinos and just really, really huge evidence that the anti-poaching uh, initiatives, many of which we've talked about on this podcast, are working. So yay that. <laughs> It's time for other news. 
it's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast other news. All right, we got a couple of fun ones in other news this week, y'all. So, um, echidnas talk with each other. Uh, that's the exciting news out of Curtin University, where researchers recorded echidna communications for the first time ever. It has long been believed that echidnas could vocalize, but it was only a theory until now. Early evidence seems to imply that echidnas only make noises during breeding season and only specifically when seeking mates, but they apparently coo, grunt, and wheeze while doing so. I also coo when seeking a mate, and grunts often follow, but I usually try not to wheeze during the process as I think that would be a bit of a turn. Uh, never, uh, I don't know what just happened there. Sorry. <clears throat> uh, anyway, um, but but yeah, then I'm not chasing after a female echidna, so... Uh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. What was I saying? Anyway, um, echidnas talk. Neat. A trailer park in Oklahoma City is coming under fire because of some controversy about a 13-foot python that was living on the premises. 13-foot python. And if that isn't bad enough, the python was apparently living on a diet of cats, including some pets in the trailer park. Residents claim that the python has been around since June and that management was made aware of the problem at the time. But uh, instead of dealing with it, management has told people to mind their own business and then started threatening anyone who spoke out about the problem, including to the press, with eviction. So everyone who has been talking to the press about this um, is needing to do so anonymously or they get evicted from their homes for not wanting their pet cats eaten by a 13-foot python. Weird. I will say, this is yet more evidence of, of why cats should be inside animals only. Not only can they wreak havoc on the ecosystem, but apparently they can get eaten by a 13-foot python in a trailer park and get their owners evicted if they complain about it. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. And then that brings us to our last story for the week, which is uh, kind of an interesting one. So female frogs, specifically European common frogs, have recently been discovered faking their own deaths in order to avoid unwanted attention from male frogs interested in mating with them. What, what's that? Oh, the sound you just heard? Uh, yeah, that's all the female members of my audience writing this down or texting their friends this new suggestion. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm just kidding. We all know that it takes more than death to get most gross male humans to leave women alone. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, and that brings us to our animal holidays for the week. So, friendly reminder, it is still October, which is Bat Appreciation Month, Croctober, Tamra Month, Squirrel Awareness Month, and Adopt a Shelter Dog Month. Then for your uh, weeks this week, the 15th launches Slow Loris Outreach Week, National Wolf Awareness Week, and National Veterinary Technician Week. Then your individual days, the 14th is African Penguin Awareness Day, the 17th is International Sawfish Day, and the 18th is World Okapi Day. 
Man, I miss the days when I got to pretend on this podcast that Okapis were not real animals. But uh, yeah, I guess I'll be celebrating their day with them on the 18th. Yay, World Okapi Day. Hey, here's a fun story. One time, an Okapi broke my cell phone. And I will never, ever share the details with how that happened. But now you know. All right, so there you have it, folks. Another week of Rasafari Zoo News is in the books. And hey, something from last week that I wanted to mention. Uh, I, I mentioned an app that can track your steps and then will plant real trees when you reach certain milestones, and it's called TreeCard. Um, I, I heard a couple people reach out and ask me kind of if I had vetted them. And I want to let you know that I would never recommend anything on here that I haven't looked into and, and don't think, you know, is a good thing, is a positive thing, is a, a place that is doing it right. Always happy to have that conversation, though. So thanks to everyone who reached out and discussed that with me. I also wanted to let you know that if you haven't signed up yet, uh, you can sign up using the link code John, J-O-N, dash O-H-1, like the number one. So John dash O-H-1. And um, I'll get to earn a free tree and some extra points. And once you walk your first 10,000 steps, you'll get an extra tree as well. So a uh, cool way to help the world. And I will put that code in the show notes. I'd also like to say thank you to Dr. Laura Shank and Dr. Stephen Williamson, my Red Panda level patrons, and to remind you all that you can support the pod for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. There's cool bonus audio from some episodes, and um, I'll let you call me your friend, even if I barely know you. Just saying. I'd also like to say thank you to everyone who contributed stories this week, including Anya Keen. Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Melissa Reed, Liz Dunlevy, Jacob Zinn, Dr. Laura Shank, Ken Tryon, Emily Rockbuck, Sabo, Sam Evans, Lisa Clare, Crystal Chapman, Becca Robinson, Kristen Robleski, and Paradiddle and Flam, my two dogs who would absolutely not leave me alone while recording this thing. So you've heard some barks and some tippy taps of the toes. And y'all, I just didn't have the time to get it out in a reasonable way without having them. But hey, what is an animal podcast without animals on that podcast? Oh, and don't worry. I know some of you are thinking it. Both Kay Malensky and Allie Malensky reached out and sent me stories this week. So the Malensky sisters are still in our good graces. Don't you worry about that. I know at least some of you were wondering right now. We'll keep having fun with those two for no reason other than because they were nice enough to contribute to my podcast. I'm a jerk. No, just kidding. I've talked to them both. They're very comfortable being characters on this podcast. Or at least that's what I'm telling y'all so you don't abandon me. Anyway, friends, thanks for being here. And remember, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.
Luca was 19 years old and three months 